Greetings and welcome everyone. This is the Elm City Lit Fest podcast and I'm Ife Michelle Gardine and with me is Sean McAllister. How is everyone? Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. The Elm City Lit Fest was created to celebrate the literature and literary artists of the African diaspora. And we're based in New Haven, Connecticut, but we are global as everybody else is in this time of pandemonium. <laughs> and to, today, our, our show is the soul and spirituality of poetry. And I am so happy to introduce our guests today, Keisha Gay Anderson and Antoinette Brimbell. Lovely, lovely women poet <laughs> that we are so grateful to have on our show today. Oh, are some soulful sisters. Wait till you hear this poetry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, because it's so much of, in our of our voices that um, speak to womanhood, and especially in these these women's poetry give power to women. And I'm wearing Nina Simone today. Shout out to people nice. getting booked for the earrings. <laughs> um, and so I'm going to have our guests give a little introduction of themselves, Keisha first, and then Antoinette. Go ahead. Oh, well, it's so wonderful to be here with you. It's always a blessing to just share the space and, you know, constantly learn together and grow together. So a little bit about me. Um, I'm an author, I'm an artist, former television producer. Uh, I, I've done a lot of things. I'm a storyteller. Um, I'm gonna show you my two poetry collections. Here they are. Um, Gathering the Waters and uh, Everything is Necessary. I have a third collection forthcoming this year called A Spell for Living. I'm also a visual artist. Um, like I said, I've worked in uh, as a journalist. And um, yeah, that's me. I'm based in Brooklyn. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. <laughs> and I just want to say that I, um, I, I saw when I used to live in Brooklyn, and I saw Keisha. Keisha did a reading at a book. One of the libraries, I think, it was out in Flatbush. Okay. I think it was. Oh, maybe maybe. It was a, a workshop or a reading, something, but mm -hmm. it was out there, and I was like, oh, wow. And so then I became like a follower, like mm -hmm. talking literary people. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then um, would run into her at literary things all through Brooklyn. And then to that, I met through a mutual friend of all of ours, JP Howard, who we had on um, last month. Um, at one of JP's Women Writers in Bloom workshops. So, Antoinette, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm Antoinette Brimbell, and um, I teach at um, Capital Community College in um, Hartford, um, teach English there. Um, I'm a poet, uh, mother, Grandmother, very, very proud grandmother. Um, yeah, so, uh, oh, I'll go ahead and show you my books, uh, just like uh, Keisha Gay did. <laughs> yes. 
three collections of poetry, Psalm of the Sunflower, which is about um, coming of age through divorce, uh, Icarus in Love, which is about love in its various incarnations, and then the latest, These Women You Gave Me, um, which tells the story of um, the Garden of Eden and the fall through the perspective of the Garden of Eden, Lilith, Adam's first wife, and um, Eve. So uh, that's me. Thank you, thank you, thank you for those introductions. Um, and Charmaine, I believe, has a question. We'll start with a question for y'all. Oh, oh, do I have the question? <laughs> Bring them on. <laughs> oh, so Miss Keisha, Miss Keisha, Miss Keisha. <laughs> the poem Stones. Mm, yeah. <laughs> now I wrote the whole poem out in my journal and I said, okay, well, I can't ask her. I can't read every line on this. Mm -hmm. But just reading a, um, a little bit from what I wrote, shape thoughts that forge a new world from our burning hearts, destroy the illusion, custom fit for our vision, imitations of life, clowning at the risen, stand on the foundation of my soul, my children, and make me molten once more so I can explode into new worlds. Paint colors your eyes can't see. Let the captives free. Let the captives free. And that I don't it took me, it took me back in time. I felt like, I don't know, have you in beloved just it took yeah. I felt beloved spirit. It just it was Oh now that's a, that's a huge compliment. Thank you. <laughs> um you know, this really is talking about something that, well, women, women have this power of creation. I mean, quite literally, I mean, obviously we co-create, you know, men and women make children, but I feel, you know, I guess because of our role as mothers, um, we are inventive and creative in, in, in certain ways and sort of like making something out of nothing. I think this is a talent <laughs> that we have. And I think, I mean, you know, I think that has something to do with um, raising children and like how you, you know, help the cognitive growth of children and, and teach them to like create things and be confident. And um, I think where I was trying to go with that is to say like, Yes, you know, we have to lean on um, the accumulated knowledge of humanity. And there's so many, there's so many ways to learn lots of things, but we can create things. You know, we because in times of crisis, we just get inventive and we just make stuff and we should feel like empowered to do that as the spirit, that inspiration comes to, to say, oh, let me try it this way. Because, you know, we follow gurus and we follow, you know, all kinds of people, but they've written about their own personal revelations. You can have a revelation and say, okay, something is telling me it needs to be done this way now. And so this is what people need. This is what I can bring. And that's kind of what I was trying to say. It's like our mothers have had, look at the middle passage, look at all we've been through. You know, we've had to really be inventive and um, recreate ourselves. And my mother is a very, very um, sharp tongue, uh, blunt and practical woman. And, you know, if something's, you know, messed up, she's like, okay, just make a new thing, you know? <laughs> that's, 
Well, you, well, okay, you got to do something different. Okay. Right. You know, that's how. <laughs> I feel like as black women, we naturally just, okay, like a problem approaches us. And okay, well, how are we going to flip this? Because yeah, this isn't working. So we need to figure out how to make it work. That's and our right. ancestors throughout time have made it work that's right. and have blossomed and excelled with little to nothing at mm -hmm. times. Oh, believe it. And just like how, my grandmother was a, uh, I was a seamstress and a dressmaker. She, her, she didn't have passed a second grade education. She made my mother's wedding dress without a pattern. She just made it. It's beautiful, you know, and it was a very lovely dress, you know. Um, and so that's just brilliance. And, and just because she, you know, she wasn't that, you know, book literate or whatever. She, I can't do that. I don't know how to make a dress. <laughs> <laughs> it's like she had a vision and she didn't need to see a pattern. She translated it and created it with her hands. She used to make things, make me dolls, send them to me in the mail, make dolly dresses, just make stuff. Yep. Miss mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, Brim, Miss Miss Brim. Now you you too, girl. Don't you know everybody just took me out this week. Like <laughs> this is um Lilith and Eve, a lot of a lot of your work from what I was reading starts with Eden in the garden. Can you just tell me what what inspired you to speak from that such delicate place? You know, I often say when I started this book, um, I was a little afraid of the subject matter. Um, being raised a Christian woman, um, we always told not to add anything or take anything away from the scripture. Mm -hmm. But my thought process was, you know, a lot of how women see themselves are because these iconic figures um, are in front of us and they have shaped the patriarchal perspective of what a woman is. And subsequently we have, you know, kind of fit ourselves into this mold. And I wondered what these you know, women would say for themselves if they had an opportunity to tell their stories, because oftentimes we don't get a chance to tell our stories. So, you know, I grew up with this whole notion of how Eve, you know, um, caused the whole fall of creation. And it was because, you know, she wasn't submitted, she wasn't obedient. And then um, I, I learned uh, that Lilith, according to Jewish Midrash, had been um, Adam's first wife. And I was wondering, like, what was that story all about? Mm -hmm. So um, I spent a lot of time doing research. I do a lot of research. And then uh, I started just kind of trying to see what she might say about her situation and how she might defend herself. Mm -hmm. And the big struggle between, um, you know, Lilith and Adam was that she saw them as equal and he wanted her to be subordinate. And so then we see Eve and she gets so much, um, you know, flack for, for um, being disobedient when we're talking about someone who inherently came into existence in the form of a child with no understanding of anything that wasn't good or practical. And then as I had these two stories, I said, you know, what would the Garden of Eden say? Because I felt like I needed someone who 
I don't want to say didn't have skin in the game, but someone who could be objective, right? So I personified her. I made her a female because I didn't want any male voices in the book. The only only thing that we hear from um, Adam in terms of of this book is is you know the woman you gave me. And it's interesting because when Lilith left him. He says to, to God, hey, that woman you gave me, you know, she ran away. And then when God asked him about why did you partake of the fruit? And he said, that woman you gave me, gave it to me. Right. And so both times for both wives, we have Adam pointing the finger. Um, and so I wanted to give them all the space to begin to um, be able to just kind of roll around out there in the global conversation, what it meant to be a woman at that particular time and the particular positions that they were in. Yeah. Um, and I want to address a little bit too about the, the titles of your, your books, like how do you, how do you come to the title? And, and you just ex kind of explained that with um, the, these women you gave me. Because um, in reading this, I, I'm thinking about all the women that each of us are. <laughs> the mothers, the, the wives, the partners, sisters, daughters, mm -hmm. all those women. And even sometimes, so between the women you gave me and then Keisha has a, a poem called mask the mask <laughs> that also is like like mm -hmm. we gotta be a little we gotta be different things in different places that's right that's right and 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 it's it's all a part of being especially a black woman that's all we can relate to but keisha mm -hmm. I like that. how did you come to the the titles of your books and then um mm -hmm. that your other books as well for sure. Um, so gathering the waters is here. The camera is always like, is it a, like a mirror? <laughs> I never know which way to put these things. But gathering the waters, um, the idea behind that is, you know, water being cleansing. You know, that book is a lot about like um, ancestry, the good things that are passed down, the trauma that's passed down, and you know, it's all passed down. And it just, if you live long enough. You can see it in families too. If you see people that you saw as children and then they have children, I'm like, mm, just like your mother. <laughs> you know, like, okay, somebody needs to intervene here because there's some patterns that may not help you. So the water is cleansing. So the idea is to take what is good, like to be bold enough and you know, courageous enough to say, tradition is fine. It serves a purpose though, but there's things we need to let go of. It's okay to let them go. You're still gonna be you. You know, it's like my great grandmother was a domestic from like early in life till the day she died. She doesn't want me to do that just because of tradition. I have to be my 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 you know my ancestors. She did that so I would not have to do that. You know, and she would always. I mean, I had the pleasure. I mean, she was kind of had dementia by the time I came in to the world. But I, you know, my mom said she would always have me on her lap, and she's like, "You're gonna win the scholarship. This one, she's gonna win all the scholarships." And she would talk to me. And that was her desire. So the water is cleansing, like let's keep what's good, gather all the good stuff, 
all the good, nice, all the rivers converging at a point of like beauty and where we can cleanse ourselves and be refreshed. That's where baptism, all kinds of things happen in the water. That's good. And letting go of stuff we don't need. So that was the idea with that. Um, and then with everything is necessary, which is this, this book, that is me on the cover. <laughs> Little me looking angry. I chose that picture because that, that was drawn after a tantrum. I guess I was a little spoiled, but um, there's a street artist was drawing these pictures in Brooklyn. This was in the seventies. And uh, you know, my mom, they were waiting on the line and they were like, oh, this line's too long, we can't wait. And then I started like crying. And then everybody let me go to the front <laughs> the line. Cause I was like five, you know. They were like, let her go, let her go. And I have this little picture and my parents saved it. But everything is necessary. Again, it's like, you know, I was going through a lot of problems and I, you know, I'm in dialogue with my grandmother or, or my, my family who's no longer here. And I sometimes talk out loud. I'm saying, no, what, what is this? Why do I have to go through this? This is nonsense. And they were like, everything's necessary because you're in a process of growth and you have to go through these things and they're unpleasant, but it's how you look at it. Wow. So it is. So it's, it's like, I don't enjoy certain things that happen, but I they were necessary to move me from this point to that point, you know? So I try to have wisdom about it. <laughs> that's it, you know, that's try to make, try to make some good stuff out of the challenges. What else can you do? You know, what else can you do? Mm -hmm. that's and what's your forthcoming book? What is that gonna be called? Oh, okay, that's called A Spell for Living. <laughs> and not all the poems are written like spells, but the idea is now we have agency, right? Okay. We're gonna be. We're gonna do what we want to do. We're gonna say like you know. We're going to will things. We're gonna visualize things. We're gonna say this is how we want our lives to be, and uh, that's kind of the spirit of the work is to acknowledge that power that we have to do that, and then to talk about what that looks like when we do it. You know, um, that's the that's the thrust of it. That <laughs> so this your books. Especially the one like grow through the forest. Oh Lord. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I want to say to Keisha Gay, I cannot wait for that new book. Um, <laughs> I'm really looking forward to that. Um, yeah, yeah. So some of the sunflower, yeah, that is coming of age through divorce. Um, the title poem is a poem um, that I wrote about myself um, as a sunflower. Like I said, I do a lot of research. Um, I can't tell you how many images I got out, off of uh, NPR's Science Friday, right? <laughs> um, you know, I found out that a sunflower is like so intent on living that it will drive its roots up to eight feet down into the ground looking for water. That's amazing. <laughs> it wants to survive. And we know that its face follows the sun, right? And um, so I kind of took that as my talisman. You know, I have a tattoo on my foot of a <laughs> of a sunflower. And, um, and so that's kind of where I got this, this notion of resilience and and determination kind of what we were talking about in the beginning of the show about you know being a black woman and just 
you know, making things happen because you, you have to make things happen because the alternative is not desirable. Mm -hmm. um, and um, Icarus in Love, um, Icarus is a one of the um, recurring um, images that run through the book. It's this whole notion that love is something that's so wonderfully amazing that it can make us, but it also can break us so beautifully. Um, and that sometimes we really don't even care. Just like, um, you know, when Icarus got that sun on his face and he just wanted to bask in it. And of course it became his undoing, but it became a very sweet undoing. And uh, that's what love can be. And I'm not just talking about, you know, um, love, erotic love, you know, partner kind of love, but love of self and, um, you know, with our children. Um, there's just all kinds of facets of, of love. Um, and I just kind of played around trying to figure out what it all meant to me. Yeah, so we have a question in the chat, in the comments, actually, and then I will um, put it to you all and then ask you to read for us. It says, um, spirituality refers to, refers less to religion and more faith in general. Mm -hmm. And and so spirituality, and, and I've, Honestly, because I I have had both of your books for a while, these two at least, um, and that's what came out for me. That's why I wanted to call this the spirituality and the soul of writing poetry. And so, how does and I and and you have spoken on this some, but how does that come through when you're writing? Mm -hmm. You know, in, in your process. Antoinette, we'll start with you. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I think it's really important to pull spirituality and religion or religiosity apart. Um, I think, you know, religion and religiosity and, um, you know, uh, institutionalized religion is a place where you're supposed to be able to take your spirituality and share it with other people um, and, and somehow, you know, enhance each other's uh, experience, um, but you know, it doesn't always work that way. Mm -hmm. So, when I'm talking about spirituality, I'm thinking about um, me in my space with my God in in um, in this room, wherever I am, or even in my own body, you know, and us being in some type of agreement about how I'm going to move and breathe and uh, have my being. So we talk about spirituality in uh, my writing. Uh, I'm, I'm coming from that place, you know, what, um, what is my best self trying to find out? Because oftentimes I'm like, I don't know what I believe until I write about it, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and um, so, you know, I wanted to know what was I supposed to learn, you know, from this divorce and this coming of age, try to write about it. You know, what, what is this love and what do I believe about love? What do I want to impart to my kids about love? So I wrote, wrote about it. You know, how can I claim and reclaim my own story 
um, and walk in my own spirituality if I am, uh, you know, going to accept uh, someone else's uh, religiosity and telling me, you know, what I'm supposed to think uh, about these women and subsequently my own womanhood. Um, no, I want to tell my own story. So let me figure out or have, be in some kind of conversation or dialogue with these big iconic figures about, you know, what femininity is and what does it mean to have agency and to own, you know, your failures and your successes, but to say, hey, you know, no, that that wasn't me, not the way, not the way you're telling my story. That's not my story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you brought up a good point in the beginning, separating religion and spirituality. I feel like religion is structured. It's more of a formality, like, okay, we go on Sundays at 11 everybody wear white, you know, there's things like that, but I feel like spirituality is more personal. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. more, like you said, you and your God, once you leave, all church really is supposed to give you with the tools you need for the week and the word and the message, but the practice happens at home. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think it's interesting to see, we've always heard of Eve as like this, this powerful woman, but then, you know, she betrayed Adam. And do you think as a woman, like, am I betraying? And like, am I deceitful? Like it, these images were created without nobody asking us, how did we feel about it? Mm -hmm. And how, how that can translate, how you feel about yourself? Like, you, you know, you're a good person, but you've always hear women are catty. Yeah. That doesn't have to always yeah. be the case. And not submitted and they don't know their place. But if we stop and we go back, and we look at these these stories that were given, we find out that Eve, yeah, you know, she she crossed a line because she didn't totally understand why that, that line was there and what it meant. But she's also the catalyst for the creation for the plan of redemption, right? So if we're gonna tell the story, tell the whole story. Right. right. Tell the fact that that through Eve, redemption is going to come and all this is going to be fixed. So um, if if we want to relegate women to a particular part, you know, a particular place and say that, you know, they need to to stay in that place, then realize that that is a place of power and creation and restoration. Oh, gosh. Now you're going to get me to preach in. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I would say like this, everybody on earth from ever since can appreciate music, right? And to me, that is akin to spirituality. The spirits move through people. doesn't matter. You don't need to know anything to connect with um, nature or just the energy. Like, you know, everybody reacts the same way when a baby is born. There's awe, there's wonder. Okay. Religion is like learning to write music. There are rules and 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 they're you know you're learning to do a specific thing and you may need that specific regimen. It's just like a diet, it's just like a exercise regimen. It's for you, it's personal, it is not for everybody. Everybody should not do the same thing, and it's not realistic. And if you look around the world, everybody does different things. People are living, you know. So I, you know. I, um, I'm a little more, how shall I say, more, I tend to lean more philosophical than 
regimented. I mean, I grew up in a Catholic church, so <laughs> I am not interested in that. And also culturally um, more interested in African traditional religions, which I've been in, a part of in many different forms for like 20 years, participating in those systems and learning. But again, primarily I move through the world as a student. So my, I, my tendency is to be a scholar. Like that's kind of like how I engage with things. Um, because I feel again, it's, it's private. It's my journey. It's my, 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 my course of study I've given myself and things move me. Like when I'm drawing, I just like, it's just intuitive. I'm just drawing, I'm writing, I'm not doing any particular thing, but that is spiritual to me. It's just like, I can't articulate what's going on there, but something's happening and something comes out and others can relate to it and connect to it because it's not just something I have, it's something bigger, it's something universal that people can relate to. Thank you. So mm -hmm. can hear a piece from each of you, please, Keisha and then Antoinette. Okay. Um, well, you know, Let's let's have something from everything is necessary where we talk about I talk a lot about ancestors in that in that book. So I'm, the piece is called Ancestors. All right. Well, you wanted to look into the dark, didn't you? So don't curse these eyes. We gave them to you and sent you to straighten the bends in these steel tracks that link all of our names rusted under salt water, buried beneath bundles of cane. Sing songs into candle flame for these bones of mine that now reach through you, stand you into six feet of woman. They have not forgotten how to brace against the lash or bend backward for the bembe. Each day we move with you, can't you hear it? We are riding the rhythm that beats these words through your center. You beg us to enter, but we never left. We is me, is you, is us all now together since forever. We laugh and lift your sight towards starshell, starshine, seashells, keeping poetry in every alley and pissed on corner. We tune your ears to the footfall of predators who stroke their loneliness to the bowline of your lips. You wanted to know, not believe. So see it all here now and build a ladder with these visions that lift us up one by one, hand over hand, after birth to under dirt. We listen with you roll slowly up this mountain that needed us to tumble down, break ground, and move things. Look here, kill your fear, open these eyes, pull us back together, and march us home. It was beautiful. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> and Antoinette. Um, I'm going to read, um, Free fall from these women you gave me, and this is written uh, in the voice of the Garden of Eden. In the beginning, we knew only bliss. There was no rain, just a gentle rolling mist captured beneath heaven's firmament and the earth. Giddy, I received Adam and Lilith to my breast, and it was good until Lilith pronounced the ineffable name and flew away. Shortly thereafter, the music in heaven was muted by war. The morning star had gone dark, judged himself too lowly exalted, and sought the throne of God. Even so, war was little more than a light show for all of Eden. 
Lilith watched from the highest limbs of the tree of life, already fallen, she had not been beguiled. But Eve did not know Lucifer, did not know pride, did not know death, did not know. And the fruit in his hand was beautiful to eat. And why wouldn't she want to be like God? What is good when all about you is good? What is evil when all about you is good? What is death when all about you lives forever? And Lucifer, his vocal cords, still silver sinew and elegant wine, his person still jewel encrusted, still standing on two muscled legs was so beguiling. But Eve did not know beguiling, did not know deceive, did not know spite she could not have known. The host peered over the edge of heaven. Gabriel exhaled a slow, shallow breath. Michael unsheathed his sword. The seraphim assembled, but God raised his hand to let Eve be. And she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Oh, nice. Thank you. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you so much for those. Everybody sees what I mean about the soul <laughs> of the poetry. Ty, you have another question. Yes. Okay. Before I, before I get back to Miss Keisha, Ms. Brim, I wanted to, when we speak about falling and redemption, I feel like with sin, there's always that opportunity of repentance. And I feel like right now in the world, that's where we're at. I really do. I feel like we there's a there's a window for wrongs to be written. For, you know, for if you can come fully understand the wrong that you've done, the hurt that we see every day has happened. Do you feel like that redemption is possible? Do you feel like the world is ready for that? As someone who's written about falling but rising? Wow. Um, I think, you know, it's uh, two different questions. Is it possible and um, can it happen now? Um, I think anything is possible. Right now, I I think that, like you said, there's a window that's open. I think, but for redemption to come, there's got to be some real repentance. And I think uh, repentance means that we have to own up to what we've done, decide not to do it again, right? And make whatever type of restitution can be made. So if we're thinking about race and reconcilia reconciliation between the races, I think, you know, there has to be some owning up to some ugly truths in the past um, and, I, and, and some true repentance and some steps forward to, you know, to make things better. You know, we've got a lot of institutionalized um, obstacles that keep people from being everything that they can be. And what we have to realize is that, you know, the country is not going to be everything it can be until everybody within the country has the opportunity to be the very best that they can be, right? And so 
I think when someone offers up like, you know, their their heartfelt repentance, it's very hard not to meet that with some type of forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, then we we have this confluence and people can come together and do better. So yeah, there's an opportunity, right? But uh, what are we gonna do with this opportunity? Um, so right now I'm in a place of, of hopefulness. And, uh, you know, I think we all have, uh, we all have a hand in this. Uh, and, and nobody can sit on the sidelines with their arms crossed. Everybody's got to get in there and find out what their place is in, um, in the reconciliation. Um, and then and only then are we going to see any true redemption. I think the transparency in that and the, the ugly truth, I think, is understanding that and sitting in that uncomfortableness is where we need to be at. It has to be seen how it happened. It can't be sugarcoated because it hasn't been a sugarcoated experience for us. It, it's been harsh throughout. And that's okay. That's okay if you understand the, the deepness of that. Not just, okay, well, that was so long ago. We're just going to move on from that. It's not like that now. It is like that now. It has transformed into something else. It's transformed into mass incarceration. Mm -hmm. It's transformed into economic disparity. It's transformed into voter suppression. It's transformed into us being a people who have forever been changed by this trauma. Right. Mm -hmm. I but I do agree. But we, I do think that we've always been a resilient and forgiving people. Black people, we folks can do anything to us, but we always find a way to smile and a way to turn around. We can tell a joke out of the most horrible situation and it still be funny because there's there's always light in that darkness. Mm -hmm. I, I think though we're at a time too when um, we don't we don't want to wait anymore. You know, it's uh, the pain is become almost buoyant. You know, like when you try to hold a beach ball underwater and you can only do it for so long before it just breaks through and 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 pops up. And I think that that that's where we are. You know, that's that's why the people are are in the street. It, it just the pain can't be held down mm. any longer. Right. So it's 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 time for us to, you know, to start to heal these wounds, you know. I don't want to say once once and for all, but to start on the path, because it's going to take a long time um, so that we don't keep having these, you know, uprisings and this division, because with this COVID stuff and and the economy and race. This is a perfect storm. It, it'll either make us or break us, right? We'll either realize that that interdependence is the way that we, we um, beat all of the, the problems that we have, um, that we come together and make these things work, or we're all going to go down, right? This mm -hmm. is not 
this is not the time for the good old American rugged individualist kind of, you know, um, attribute that we've loved so much when we were taming the West and all of that. It's it, we now have to work together, all of us. It, it's all hands on deck, or or, or we're going to lose our beautiful way of life. I, I would really like to see us come together, and 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 fix the problems that we have. Hmm. That definitely is true. What are you going to say, Tisha? No, I'm just you know thinking about what it requires. Like, what is it going to take to get us to a uh, a different place. And I think um, circumstances have pushed us into a different space. I mean, we're in uncharted territory, right? And, um, you know, it's controversial, but I mean, I think the only way forward is an examination of whiteness, um, a releasing of whiteness, the creation of whiteness created blackness, right? And our culture is real and our experiences are real as black people. And we have been through things, you know, as that collective, but I think that um, we have to start looking at these things differently and 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 examining, you know, privilege and these identities that create these just artificial divisions. And it's really just who gets what, like who gets what stuff based on these identities. And um, I don't think that you know they they don't serve well. They certainly have never served us, but they definitely don't serve the country anymore. And the country is 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 poised to not be a white country in in the next fifty to hundred years. So there's some things we need to like um, look at in terms of like those big questions about things that we accept as reality, which are not real at all. Um, you know, these are bigger conversations about economics and identity and like all of that stuff. But um, now's the time to have them because nobody's going outside. Outside is closed. <laughs> <laughs> no so, one can say that. I feel like no one can say that, you know, I just don't have time. My schedule is too busy. No, you, you have more than enough time. There is nothing else for you to do. And I think that option of that ex that out has been taken away from us. We now have to deal with the issues here. There's no more. You can't tell me you didn't see a video similar to George Floyd. Or you haven't heard a story similar to Breonna Taylor. You can't say you haven't heard it. It's everywhere. The veil is gone. The cat has jumped out of the bag. <laughs> there are no more cats in any bags. Mm -hmm. So I think we have a, an opportunity to really stand on our intent. And it's gonna require a lot of work. It's gonna require a lot of transparency. But mm -hmm. I think if we get past the place of taking things personal, we it, it's for the greater good. We understand that your people weren't, you weren't there when it happened, neither, neither were we. But it's still continuing and it's showing up in different ways. But mm -hmm. that, it's either we can eradicate it or I don't want to keep having this conversation. I don't want my kids to be still in the street protesting. Like, how we can't? You can only say the same thing, but so many times. Well, you know, this is a a much bigger, and and this conversation could be very long. But I would say that the present, the pre, the all I will say is the present structure that we've, the structure we've lived with up to now, our suffering is required for that to function. Okay, and, and it's hard for us to get our head around that, but it has been required for the comfort that others enjoy. And we're saying 
that's not how it's going to be anymore. So then we need a different setup, we need a different setup. And, you know, that's, that's where I think we're at. So, um, one of my favorite quotes is from Nina Simone that states that an artist's duty is to, in her opinion, an artist's duty, as far as she's concerned, is to reflect the times. Mm -hmm. And again, that that it comes through. I, I feel it comes through in both of your work, both of your work, and. Um, I'd like to pose the question that um, how and when you're in your teaching and when you're you're doing workshops and even in your work life outside of um, poetry, because um, Keisha does healing work, I should mm -hmm. say. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. That how does uh, that reflect or um, or coincide with your your creativity? Hmm. Let's see, Antoinette, do you want to go first? <laughs> um, that, that's, a, that's an interesting question. Um, so I think what you're asking is how are we um, not only walking the walk, but, but you know, what is it, talking the talk, but also walking the walk, mm -hmm. whether we're in, um, in our work or outside of our work. Um, you know, right now the the uh, book project that I'm working on is a lot about race, and it has a lot to do with what that means um, to me as a black mother. Um, and uh, I think that that's something that uh, you know mother to mother, whether you're a black mother or a white mother, you understand these um, maternal feelings, right? You, we love our kids, um, you know, regardless of who we are. And I'm thinking that um, even as I'm reflecting those times and my concerns and my feelings about, um, being a black mother, I think that that's a way to kind of bridge some kind of understanding. I was just thinking, you know, my 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 son came to visit and needed to borrow my car, and it was okay. Um, this is where the registration is. I've put it, you know, not in the glove box, but in the armrest, so it's quick and easy. Take it out, put it on the seat before you leave. You know, how many times have we had this conver conversation? But I feel like I need to say it time and time again. Um, so, you know, I'm doing that, um, reflecting the times in my work. But I think it's very important for us to hold space the way that you ladies are holding space and uh, um, so that we can have these very important conversations um, and so that others can be engaged in these conversations and begin to think, you know, where their place is in the movement or in this particular um, time that we find ourselves in. Uh, I think I kind of do the same thing. I understand that just showing up to work and being in the classroom and being a woman of color, a dreaded, tattooed, pierced woman of color who, you know, um, can teach and listen and uh, guide 
is a very important way of showing, of, of holding space, of saying, if I'm here in this space, then you too can be in this space. And then to my students who are not of color, they, you know, sometimes it's the first time they've seen a person of color in a, a, a space of authority. This was even more prevalent when I was down south. And then they look and they go, oh, okay, well, then I can look at other people of color and have different expectations um, of them. You know, I, I think every time, <laughs> I think a lot of us, every time we walk out of the door, uh, you know, it's this great act of resistance, holding space, and, and uh, uh, just kind of challenging expectations. Um, yeah, I can go on forever about this. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, my, the way that I kind of embody what I believe and, and model it is that I insist on being myself, kind of like what Antoinette was saying. Like, I, I am myself, I'm not altering my look, my whatever. You know, I'm a professional. Um, I don't know everything. Obviously, I'm a student. I can always improve things, but my essential self, my, um, you know, it's my son walking by. See, he has AirPods. He doesn't even know what's going on. <laughs> He's waving. Okay, bye. <laughs> um, but that's it. And that's what I've taught them too. My, my two children is like, I am going to be me because I am, you know, I have been given gifts. We all each, and that's what I tell when I teach. Everybody has a gift. Your job is to uncover it because some somebody in the world needs what only you can do because all of us collectively do this thing called life and we make things and everything you see was in someone's mind and it, they brought it forward and, and made it uh, something that we can all enjoy or, or what have you. So just to be yourself and to, to really spend your energy on finding out what do you contribute? What good can you offer? What's your talent? How can you improve that? Who, who can you work with? to hone those talents? Who should you stay away from? You know, how can you be better to yourself? How can your body work better? How can your mind work better? What, what do you need to thrive? That's what I'm concerned with. Because I think if everybody's functioning at peak capacity, we're all better off for it. But so many of us are just, we're doped up on um, entertainment, which is like, you know, has the same effect in your brain with dopamine, just like constantly watching content, movies, like video games and just constantly consuming, eating, eating too much, eating the wrong things. Just, you know, some of us are working so much, we have no time or space in the day to even think and hear our own thoughts. So I advocate meditation, just a, even a little bit, or whatever you call it. I mean, if prayers, you know, whatever your tradition is, you need time alone with yourself to figure out what you do, what you do well. Otherwise, you're just like a an extra set of hands for someone and you don't want to spend your life like that. I mean, I hope not. <laughs> so that, that's kind of what I try to, to teach. I want to uh, say, Kishige, you, you hit it when you said to always be a student, mm -hmm. right? There's so much that we don't know. And I think a lot of times, you know, we think we've got it all figured out or whatever the situation is. And listening to someone else's perspective, listening to someone else's point of view, it can really inform you, right? 
continuing to read, continuing to have dialogue, um, to make sure that the content that you are uh, bringing in uh, to your mind and into your body is uplifting and is educating and is engaging. And I, when you said, you know, modeling that you're a, uh, a lifelong learner, I think you hit it right on the head that we all need to have a spirit of, you know, humility about us, that there's so much that we don't know, mm -hmm. right? And when we allow ourselves to be open to learn those things that we don't know, um, we give ourselves an opportunity to grow. And if we each grow individually, then collectively, the community, the nation, you know, globally, we grow and become better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think being a lifelong learner, it, it, it reveals your purpose. And I think that's what you kind of spoke to, Ms. Keisha. There's a discipline that you have to have as far as working on your craft, you know, closing that gate. It's like right now, everything is so instant. You can Google anything. You, everything is at your disposal. Mm -hmm. So that quiet time, you don't necessarily have to sit in it like you used to back right. in the day. Very Before true. you had to go outside. Before TV went off. You know, yes. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> from what I hear that they say. Yes, he said from what I hear. I remember. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But mm -hmm. I think peaking, Miss Ife always speaks about you never want to think you've peaked. No. Because you then you become stagnant and your your door of knowledge is now closed. Mm -hmm. And you put it there, it's one thing to have an obstacle in your way. But I think putting your own thinking that you know you now know everything, that you can't be taught something at 25, 57, 84, you know, I think stops your growth. Absolutely. I have one more question and then we're going to ask you all to grace us with some poetry once again. All right. <laughs> so, Miss Keisha, you have a poem called Have You Seen My Mother? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, this, and this one really got me because yeah. Um, throughout my life, I lost my mom in 2016, but throughout my life, I've always had a village of women mm. who have been that figure for me. As of recent, Miss Ife has become a part of my mom village, but just different women who have modeled how to carry yourself, how mm. to be feminine and what that looks like. I feel like every woman has a getting dressed process. <laughs> That's that, true. <laughs> you know, sitting with my grandma, I've sat with my grandmother and I watched her get ready to cook and how she's cooked. But um, I'll read a line from it, but I just want to know like, what inspired you because um, you have, do you know where she is? Does she love me? Can she see these brick pillows that I have learned not to fill? Will she whisper through my tears that this is not real? Mm. Yeah, well, first of all, you are very wise for collecting your village of moms, or I think that's how you said it, <laughs> um, because that is something that got disrupted in our experience uh, in the Middle Passage and through enslavement is um, elders. And, you know, that's a big part of um, African culture. It's like, you know, in a, I'm, I'm Jamaican and a Caribbean to, too, to some extent, and African-American culture. Yes, we revere our elders, but somehow, somehow that has been disrupted. So not all of us have what we need in terms of that mentorship. Some of us do, some of us don't. So that's really important. And I wrote that poem because 
you know, every, and, and this is interesting, a New York Times article just talked about um, DNA, what DNA reveals about um, enslavement and how um, women of African descent contributed so much more to the gene pool. Women of African descent and men of European descent, their genes are, you know, what contributed mostly to the current, you know, populations um, of, of African Americans and Caribbean people. And then we know that's because of rape, like in most cases, right? So in my family, every paternal line goes back to Europe, every single one of them. My, my, my grandmother's grandfather, my mother's grandfather, my father's grandfather. So I know the names of those people. The black women who these white men, you know, had children with, they are not recorded. They maybe had they had one name, or if they haven't, like I don't know much about them. And to me, everything we love, you know, I mean, I can speak for Jamaica, the Jamaican culture, the things people love about it are African things, the food, the music, those things that women have retained as gatekeepers of culture and as the mothers generally in that society and have passed on to their children, but they're invisible. They've been made invisible, you know, and that's the patriarchy. They've been made invisible, um, you know, in the power dynamics of you can't be a mistress if you're enslaved, you know, you, you can't, you know. So these are, these are things that I, I like to explore. I wanna, I don't know the names of these women. I make them up in my writing. I, you know, I think about them but I want to acknowledge just everything, uh, you know, that I've inherited in terms of like, um, just being a black woman is, you know, I wanted to just explore that idea about where, 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 where are those mothers and what can they teach me? Do you know, how would I know what wisdom would they impart to me? What are, what are we missing? Cause surely a lot of people in our community do have some arrested development. I mean, this is true. And this is, part of the thing that's stunting us in terms of progress in, in certain areas. And a lot of our mothers, you know, we have a lot of mommy issues. A lot of our mothers are, are traumatized and we haven't just never, never dealt with it because things that are, are, are so commonplace like sexual assault and these things that plague women all over the world are just never spoken about. But the, the energy goes somewhere. That stuff gets passed down. <laughs> gets, you know, whether it's the way you approach life, whether you're afraid of life, whether you're suspicious of everybody, whether you're angry, whether you're apathetic, that stuff gets passed on. It needs to be dealt with. So that's kind of the spirit I was coming from when I wrote that. I feel so full because oh. <laughs> that's how I, I hope when I read it, that's what I hope you meant because that's how I took it. Yep. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like it's one to not have a mom or to have a mom missing. I feel like that hits everyone different, man or woman. Mm -hmm. You can, dads can leave. They can't, but them leaving is one thing. But once you hear a woman has left, that's a, that's a void that you, you can't really, you know, even as growing up, I was, you know, I can be upset at both my parents, but I was more upset with my mother. To, to grow with someone. I feel like that connection you have with your mom. And over the years, we hear about I had, folks in our culture, have, I had to grow with an aunt, or you have to go live with the grandmother. Mm -hmm. it's, never, it's never that direct, me and my mom. Yeah. And I think about how that has affected our people throughout time. We've created villages, yes, but you know, being able to call your mom is something that 
is priceless. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And our end. Did you have another question, Shaw? Um, I do, but I don't want to. We'll be on for another 25 minutes. <laughs> we can go over a little bit. Okay, Miss Miss Antoinette, I wanted to know how has what inspired you, and what has where do you see yourself going in the next ten years as we speak about tradition and it evolving? Who do you see yourself evolving into? Wow, now that's a that that's a really big question. So where do I see myself going? Uh, I hope to. Continue to evolve. Um, I'm becoming more and more fearless in my voice, um, in my writing, um, and I, I'm I'm writing um, with abandon and just knowing that the poems will find um, the right ears and the right homes and the right resonance. Um, in the next ten years, I hope that. Uh, that I've, you know, developed and grown and written better work. That I've become smarter, and not only smarter but wiser. And that I am imparting that wisdom um, to uh, my students and to my family, and uh, you know, to my children's children. I have a grandson that changes the way you look at the whole world. Um, I want so desperately for this world to be a better place for him. And I think uh, my part in that is uh, uh, to add to the dialogue um, and to find solutions and not just call out problems um, to, to encourage and uplift him so that he feels that he has uh, uh, the power to do anything and everything that um, he wants to do. Um, but I do also understand that um, it's time, you know, to begin to, to kind of pass the baton a little bit. Uh, more and more, I see that the next generation has its own way of doing things. And uh, at first, you know, we, you know, we old heads start to think like, what? <laughs> but uh, as time has gone on, I'm like, okay, I, I, I see you. And I'm thinking that the way the, these millennials and these younger people are just fearless, the way they go and different races and go and stand together um, and say this isn't right, um, and we're going to we're going to stand with each other, and we're going to make it better. You know, I'm willing to start taking that step back and and being the support as they go forward and do some of the things that we we couldn't do um, or that we didn't do. It's 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 time um, mm -hmm. to prepare them to, to, to take over. So that's kind of where I see myself um, going, you know, I want to, I want to kind of go out with my boots on, still writing, still teaching, um, but understanding that uh, 
that it's it's time to to make space for the next generation. Mm -hmm. Wow. And that is why I have this lovely young woman. <laughs> I'm, I'm so grateful for her presence. And uh, another member of our team is Emily Mayo. Um, I, you know, my 60-year-old self came up with an idea and wanted to do this. But I, I knew I wanted some young energy <laughs> to keep it going and, and build a legacy. So we're um, coming to the end of our time and we're going to wrap up with words from the, the spiritual, soulful poetry from both of you, Antoinette and then Keisha will take us out. And I'm so grateful for you all coming on tonight. Thank you so much. I, I want to say thank you for having us and for, you know, holding this space. This has been amazing. I feel like I too am full. Um, Keisha Gay, I learned so much from you tonight. I'll be <laughs> back over this YouTube um, video and, and with uh, my pen and paper. Uh, so I want to thank you uh, for that. You know, I want to thank you for the insightful questions. Um, you really pulled it out of us. Uh, so I want to say thank you for that, too. Um, I'm going to read a poem um, from um, Icarus in Love. Um, it's a poem I wrote for my oldest son, um, Roland Michael. I, you know, we all have a place in um, making things better and in, in going forward. And uh, my hat's off to everybody who's out there in the streets um, trying to uh, make us remember um, the names of the people um, that are lost to us. And so the name of this poem is We Carry Our Dead With Us. Mm. Curse the sky that clouds like sugared absinthe. Curse the sun that barely warms it. Square your shoulders, son. We carry our dead with us. Rain will not stop because we will it. A dead messenger does not change the truth. The truth instead settles itself inside us. There is no antidote for the grief that ails. No song drowns out a mother's wail. No force can pull a father's fist from the sky. We bear the sudden sandstorm, grit our teeth, blink our pricked eyes, kiss the cheeks of those with faces gone, sugar of lead lost to us. Bathe in the cry of cerulean wings cutting across the sky. Flight is a freedom that awaits us all. Now we move on. Do what they left undone. Avenge the tired heart gone silent. Cover the bullet holes that hemorrhage hope. Our dead are with us. Mm. Ooh, nice. Very nice. Thank you. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Um, I guess I'll just go. That's okay. All right. Well. I also want to thank you all. You know, I, I really enjoyed being here with you tonight and nice, thoughtful conversation. And 
I hope it's useful to a lot of people. And it was just, you know, wonderful to share the space with you. Um, since we were talking about motherhood and mothers, I'm gonna read a poem from Everything is Necessary called Trapped. In my fourth decade of life, I now know I've been trapped by my mother's fear. And can you blame her for building this fortress around us? Locked in the foul coop for breaking a plate, lashed until the blood was let for dirtying the one good shoes. School days with nose pressed up against the window of a whites only ballet studio, built for those Kingston girls from British Isles, exiled among the forgotten faces of Akan, Ashanti, Chui. And she did not understand that them is we. Even when chestnut hues and freckles made their way into our skin, we too have oldest world kin, you know. Well, Keisha, it's a white man's world. We just live in it. I hear you, mom. I love you for what you endured to bring me here. But I create worlds. It is my job to dream. Imagine for those bred to be blind. Love is my palette. I fear no man. I use this body like a chisel, a shovel, a machete, and I will never stop until I am the biggest dream I can imagine because the prescience wasn't beat out of me and I've had enough food and books and the anonymity of a big city to remember what you have been forced to forget. Thank you, thank, thank <laughs> you so much. You, the Elm City Lit Fest is, is so appreciative. <laughs> I just created this forum because it's so important for our voices to be heard. Mm -hmm. So important for the, just the, the continuation and the inspiration. And ladies, the, it, we are so full tonight. And mm -hmm. Comments in, in the Facebook, everybody's like, ooh. Wonderful. So, um, <laughs> Again, um, we 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 air bi-weekly at 7 p.m. Look for also get on these ladies' websites, get their books. That's the purpose too. We got support. <laughs> we are buying the books, buy the books as well. <laughs> We're not just up here reading them. We <laughs> them. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. This has been, I really appreciate you all being so transparent and open. I feel like you can still feel things through Zoom if it's mm -hmm. the right yeah, space. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so we're going to say good night. Everyone stay safe and well. And you, too. you too. You Thank too. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Have a good night.